Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Uh, So a commercial I saw recently had a husband cooking to surprise his wife. She comes home and starts questioning him. So what are you making? He tells her and explains the product that they're advertising has nine grams of protein. Wow, she seems impressed. Then she asks, but did you have to use all the pots and pans in the house? And then the camera zooms out to show just this kitchen full of like dirty pots that he used to make this one dish. And the husband smiles and said, well, at least I didn't use the double boiler. There's like one little pot that he didn't use. And he's like, look, I did, I did, I didn't use that one, right? He wanted to show his wife that he did this one thing right, right? Even though he made you know, a lot of mistakes. He made a big mess. And I think we all do that sometimes. You know, it's like, hey, look at this great thing I did. Whenever I do the dishes unexpectedly as a surprise or or clean up, it takes a lot of willpower, to be honest, not to tell my wife, like, hey, did you see what I did, right? I'm just hoping she'll give me that Wow, looks great in here. That's what I really like to hear. But, you know, you don't always get it. Sometimes we do these things. We try to point out uh, the good things we've done. Why? To address discouragement. But why are we discouraged in the first place? And is building ourselves up, you know, pointing out the good things that we've done, really the best solution? We all want to point out that, hey, at least I didn't use the double boiler, right? At least I made dinner, right? We're, we're a good person, right? And it's, it's tough dealing with our insecurities. It's tough being discouraged, feeling stuck. And that brings us to this week's Parsha, Shalach, where the scouts are sent out to investigate how good the land is. Here's what happens when they come back. They gave their report to them and the entire assembly. They showed the land's fruit, They gave their account to him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of its fruit. Except the people living in the land are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the sons of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites are living in the mountains, and the Canaanites are living near the sea along the bank of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should definitely go up and capture the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack these people, because they are stronger than we. They spread among B'nai Israel a bad report about the land they had explored, saying, The land through which we pass to explore devours its residents. All the people we saw there are men of great size. We also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as theirs. Interesting. So there's a lot of negativity here, specifically negative self-talk, 
What are they saying? We're like grasshoppers. We're worms. We're little bugs. We're not worthy, right? Notice the last line, however, takes it another step further. What do they say? We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as theirs. They're assuming they know what these enemy groups think about them is also just as negative as what's in their own heads. The rabbis noticed this overreaching. Uh, and here's some, a little bit of Midrash about that. The Midrash says that God forgave the spies for having a poor self-concept. That's the first thing. Oh, we seemed like grasshoppers. That is an emotion which is not easily overcome. Their sin was in failing to exercise their ability to act according to their intellect. Having witnessed the many miracles of the Exodus, they knew intellectually that God could make them appear to the Canaanites as mighty angels. It was not even a lack of faith that was their sin. It was their failure of surrendering to their emotions when they should have followed their intellect. That's from Chedoshe Halev. Or put another way, what I think uh, you could say that they are surrendering to their emotions and fear of how others perceive them rather than how God sees them. This is from uh, another Midrash, from Midrash Tanhuma. They said, and in our own eyes, we were like grasshoppers. The Holy One, blessed be he, said, I forgive them for that remark. But I was tougher when they said, and so we were in their eyes. Who would say that you were not like angels in their eyes? Do you know what I made you in their eyes? What had they brought upon themselves? It's like a, a negative self-talk cycle fueled by fear and assuming that others are thinking the worst of us. But the Israelites are not unique in this, are they? We also do it. This sort of emotional turmoil leads to discouragement, which makes us think we can't do what God has called us to do. The Midrash makes it clear that the first issue of being small in their own eyes is, is more understandable, right? They have, you know, some insecurities. That's, that's understandable. We all have them. This is because our emotions and insecurities can be very powerful forces. However, we shouldn't sweep our emotions under the rug, even negative emotions. In the book, Good and Angry, Dr. Scott Taransky lays out a healthy view of emotions as signals. Taransky is a professor at Concordia University and the author of 15 books on parenting. He is the co-founder of the National Center for Biblical Parenting and the teaching pastor at Graceway Bible Church. This is an excerpt from his book, Good and Angry, which is really a parenting book, but it has a lot of applications uh, elsewhere. Quote, Emotions are not just for ambiance or atmosphere. They also have a very practical purpose. They reveal things about life. Emotions are like a sixth sense, helping us recognize things about our environment. It's amazing how many times a day a person feels information before the mind is aware of it. You feel like someone is watching you, like, like something's wrong, like you're on the wrong road, or that this is going to be a good day. Those who are sensitive to their emotions have the added advantage of picking up signals that others might miss. A salesman knows just when it's the right time to close the deal. A husband is away, amazed at his wife's perceptiveness to sense a problem in their son. A teacher decides to let the class take a stretch break. If you were to ask these people how they knew how to respond in each situation, they might not be able to articulate what it was that gave them the clue. They just felt it, right? As if it was the right thing to do. 
If you analyze the previously described situations, you will discover that each involved specific objective signals that don't have to do with emotions. People relied on details that they saw, heard, or remembered. However, those cues triggered emotional responses, not intellectual ones. Uh, salesmen, teachers, and parents learn to look for signals and clues in others in the form of expressions or behavior. But some of the best skill comes from an emotional sense that it's the right thing at the right time. Imagine a car's control panel with many little lights. And, uh, and with experience, you begin to learn about those lights and what they mean. One indicates it's time to add oil. Another reveals that the trunk is open. Yet another tells you that it's time to take the car in for maintenance. Emotions are like those little lights. It takes time to understand what they mean and how to respond rightly to them. When you become more in touch with the emotional signals in relationships and are more sensitive to others, you can begin to respond in healthier ways, unquote. Isn't that nice? I really like that, that image. So if the Israelites were perhaps a little more aware of their emotions, then perhaps they wouldn't have projected those insecurities onto the other people in the land. We were also small in their eyes, they said. But what led them to this place? What is the road to discouragement paved with? Well, there's a clue in the fallout from this event. You see, it leads to the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years as a result with this older, faithless generation perishing in the desert. And only the next generation, the younger generation, being able to actually enter the land. And it sounds a little bit harsh until you read the context. Adonai answered, I have forgiven them just as you have spoken, but as certainly as I live and as certainly as the glory of Adonai fills the entire earth, none of the people who saw my glory and my miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet tested me these 10 times and did not obey my voice. I underline that because they tested the Lord 10 times. Not one of them will see the land I promised to their forefathers. None of those who treated me with contempt will see it. However, my servant Caleb, because a different spirit is with him, and he is wholeheartedly behind me, I will bring him into the land where he went. His offspring will inherit it. So they didn't just feel small and not trust God in this one case of scouting the land, right? They had been testing God over and over. The medieval commentary Rashi says this refers to the ten times, refers to a few times at the Red Sea, a few times in the case of the manna, a few times in the case of the quails, etc., continually, continually testing the Lord. And what do all of these have in common? Well, a lot of them, what is there? Kvetching, complaining. Oy. The road to discouragement is paved with complaining. I found, actually, uh, this is interesting, an ancient Yelp review of the manna to show what the Israelites' attitudes were. This is uh, really interesting. Okay, so this is from, you can see his little face there, Jehoshaphat B. He is in uh, the Sinai Desert County in Israel. And uh, the date on this is the 13th century BCE, so it's very, but it was recently updated, so that's, that's nice. Okay, two stars. And this is from Numbers 11. If we could just eat some meat, we remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we have no appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Then he says, service is good, though, every morning from heaven. But I mean, closed on Saturdays? 
How are we supposed to get our fill? Anybody have a clue for, for Jehoshaphat? Okay. Anyway, that was from Yelp. Although it was in Hebrew, so maybe it was actually play. Yelp, play, no, no, okay. Never mind. All right, so there you have it. <laughs> Sorry, I got to do the dad jokes because it's, uh, it's dad's day tomorrow. So there you have it. Complaining can fuel negative self-image and negative emotions, which over time can lead to discouragement and not trusting God. So enough discouragement talk, right? How can we encourage ourselves and others when we're stuck? That's the important thing, right? Right? All right. Well, if we're dealing with a negative self-image, you know, the answer really isn't within ourselves. Trying to measure the good things versus the bad, trying to say, but I, I, I didn't use the double boiler, right? That's not really the answer. It's a, it's a losing battle, which leads to shame. Plus, if we succeed in that, if we find enough good things that we've done, what does that lead to? Well, we're ignoring all our flaws, and that leads to pride. Look at all this, th- these things that I've accomplished, right? But the idea, rather, is to focus on the Lord and to ask the Father how he sees us, to get our sense of worth and identity and goodness from him. Consider these scriptures. This is from Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. We are his workmanship. This is from Zephaniah 3.17. I really like this. Adonai, your God, is in your midst, a mighty Savior. He will delight over you with joy. Say that with me. He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will dance for joy over you with singing. Sometimes our view of ourselves is overly harsh because we think of God as harsh. But the scripture gives us the right image. Sometimes I think about how I delight over my own son, right? And then multiply that by... Infinity, right? And that's how God delights over me. If uh, Aviel makes a mistake or does the wrong thing or, you know, what, what, how do I respond to that? I'm, I'm patient and gentle to correct him, right? He, uh, the other day he yanked my beard, right? I don't think he meant to, but it, you know, kind of hurt. And I say, I just said, hey, you know, gentle with daddy's beard. And then I touched his face the way I wanted him to touch mine. And then he mirrored it back to me because he's a very gentle soul, right? Um, so why not take some time this week and ask the Lord, how do you see me? How do you see me? And I wanted to encourage us to think of the Lord rejoicing over us like a good father would. Another path to encouragement is to take a page from Caleb and Joshua in this scenario. They saw the giants... They saw everything that the other people saw, but they had a different response. They saw also the long-awaited promise that went all the way back to Abraham. And this is what they say to Israel. The land through which we passed is an exceptionally good land. If Adonai is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and will give it to us. A land flowing with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against Adonai and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They will be food for us. 
The protection over them is gone. Adonai is with us. Do not fear them. This captures two things, I think. One, wow, the opportunity that God has laid out before us to fulfill his promise is amazing. Turn to someone and say, it's an exceedingly good land. I didn't believe you. Turn to somebody else. Say it. It's an exceedingly good land. There you go. And secondly, not only is it an opportunity, but also they know that the Lord is with them. The one who brought them out of slavery. The one who brought them through the Red Sea. Splitting it in two. The one that gave them the Torah. The one who met with them on the mountain. The God of heaven and earth. He is with them. So we've seen that some of the elements of encouragement are focusing on how God sees us. He rejoices over us. That is getting a picture of the loving Father's vision for us. Also, encouragement flows out of keeping our eyes on the opportunities instead of complaining, right? You don't want to give a Yelp review like that. And uh, we're trusting that God is with us. Sometimes our family will watch uh, educational videos by uh, Miss Rachel. Have you ever have you ever seen that? Any any families seen uh, Miss Rachel videos? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and she uh, very patiently and clearly helps kids with language development. And her channel has 4.6 million subscribers. Recently, I found a, a video explaining how she got started. Uh, she explains that with her son, his first word was at two years and eight months. And guess what that first word was? Mama. And how she just rejoiced at him. Rejoiced. And she had waited so long for that day. But she, she shared how she wanted to do something for him, um, for her son, who had a, a speech delay. And she looked all over for videos that would be helpful where it's a, a real person, not a cartoon, and uh, that was speaking clearly and, and could teach. She, was a, a, she had a background in teaching as well, but she couldn't find anything. So she said, well, why don't I make some, something for him and maybe it'll help other kids learn as well, right? So she looked at this problem that any parent might feel discouraged by and she said, what? It's an exceedingly good land, right? This is an opportunity, and it blessed millions of kids, right? And it's and it's we we watch them, you know, here and there, and occasionally, and they're so good, so helpful. So I just want to leave you with one more thought. Even if we make all the wrong choices, and we get so stuck that we wander the desert for forty years, remember this: Moses was still with them. In the wilderness. Moses also didn't go into the promised land. He was buried with that older generation outside the land. 1 Corinthians 10.2 says this. They were all immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were all baptized in Moshe. In other words, they were baptized with him. And thus, spiritually, they will be raised with Moses. And in the gospel accounts, when Yeshua is transfigured and shines with a great light, who is there with him in the land of Israel? Moses, right? And so, 
he died outside the land with the older generation, but what? He was raised inside the land. So kal v'chomer, how much more is Messiah Yeshua immersed with us? Beloved, if we die with him, we will also be raised with him in glory. Amen. Abba, we thank you for your uh, patience with us. You know, we, <clears throat> we do try you sometimes. We do test you. Um, help us to, to trust you, Lord. Help us to uh, encourage ourselves and to cur- encourage others, to see you and to see ourselves clearly, to address our negative view of ourselves, our harsh view of ourselves, by allowing you to, to sing over us, to rejoice over us in our, in our quiet time, Lord. And uh, we pray that we would be able to encourage others that might be discouraged as well with a word of encouragement, a word of hope, um, a word of knowledge, a word of faith, Lord, um, that you would um, help us to uh, encourage one another. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.